Hello and welcome to VChat number 53. We're excited to be joined by Mr. Mike Foley. You know him, you love him, security guru from VMware. Um, before we talk about Mike, just tell you who I am, David Davis from VMware Videos, and I'm joined by... Simon Seagray from techhead.co. How you doing, guys? Hey. Doing great. Thanks for being on the show today, Mike. Um, I mean, we know you for many years. We've known you for many years. For those out there in the audience who don't know you, let's kick it off. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Uh, so I work at VMware in the vSphere Tech Marketing Group, uh, Staff Technical Marketing Architect, and my focus is primarily on vSphere security. I've been in the industry since 1980, uh, so long before many of you were probably born. And uh, I started off at digital, uh, driving a car, delivering stuff. Um, some of the highlights there was uh, I was the uh, the system manager of the vSphere, uh, sorry, vSphere of the VMS development group. Uh, so I was the sysadmin for a group of 400 MIT and Stanford engineers, which is always a fun and interesting challenge. And uh, because it's all everyone competing to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and um, but that was great. Uh, it was a fantastic learning experience. While I was at DEC, uh, my systems got hacked by Kevin Mitnick, and I um, that was probably my first big introduction to security. And uh, you know, about twenty five years later, I got to meet him, and we conversed over that particular incident, and that became my most popular blog article. Just search for Foley Mitnick. Uh, you'll find the. Uh, the, the story there. It's a pretty, pretty good read. And uh, then I was at a startup after digital. And then I eventually made my way to RSA. And <clears throat> I worked in the tech marketing team there. And eventually migrated into the uh, technical evangelist team because I was the VMware guy at RSA. And I was speaking an awful lot about virtualization and security long before anybody with maybe the exception of Ed Haletke. Um, uh, I was, you know, it was pretty much Ed and I that were banging the drum of how do we secure this environment? And uh, then I made my way to VMware about five and a half years ago. And what's been really cool since I've been at VMware was some of the things that I was discussing and pushing for, wow, like seven or eight years ago are things that are either now in the product or hopefully may show up in the product uh, at some point in the not too distant future. So yeah, it's, it's been really great. It's been a, a fantastic learning experience for me. It's been a pretty varied career and um, yeah, I'm here now. So over the years there, Mike, um, how, how has security changed? Uh, you know, is it in a much better place or much better state than it was? Let's say, you know, without going too far back to 1980-wise, because obviously it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's on everyone's yeah, radar a lot more than was, men. But... Everything was wide open then. I mean, yeah. uh, back then, every, every, everyone had uh, dial-in uh, in order to get to their systems. And uh, one of the things that Kevin would do is he'd just call up the the, the operator on the uh, computer operator on duty and say, Hey, I'm so-and-so and I forgot my password. Can you reset it? Uh -huh. back so then, it's like, oh yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> no verification, no nothing. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, one of the stories we talked about, not only about computer security, but about physical security. And I don't see a huge amount of change 
from a physical security standpoint is back then um, we were noticing that the security guard at the front desk really wasn't checking badges, you know? So people were going, okay, here's my credit card and here's, you know, my driver's license and the guy, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. He really wasn't paying attention. So we started a contest, this is a digital, we started a contest to see who could get past the security guard by showing the most ridiculous object, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and it was the guy who showed a can of tuna fish and got waved through <laughs> that won the contest. So, oh, so I've talked about and taken that story and built upon that uh, when I talk about security with with people um, uh, at, at, at various con conventions and such. And I talk about, look, if it's that easy for me to get into your building, right? Why would someone really go through the time level of an expense to do a VM escape type of threat when I can show a can of tuna fish, walk into your building, sit in a cube, plug into your network, and if your ESX servers and, and vCenter are not isolated so that only management, only administrators can get to it, and then, you know, you, you've got a crappy patching strategy, I'll just take advantage of a known vulnerability. Why create something out of whole cloth? And if anybody walks up to me in a cube nowadays, because because um, uh, people are much more fluid in moving from place to place. Oh, I'm Mike from the Boston office. Oh, hi, Mike, can I get you a cup of coffee? Sure. So now we're back down to, sure, I'll change your password. Right. No yeah. one challenges you. Right, yeah. Right. That's one of the downsides of uh, hot desking, I guess. You know, a lot of businesses are <coughs> hot desking. So it's always, you know, it's never the same face in, 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 in exactly. the same seat from day to day. Well, all you need to know, it, it really boils down to the, what hasn't changed in security is human nature. And yeah. the people that are most effective at compromising our customers are the social engineers. Mm -hmm. Now, you can talk to Kevin Mitnick and, and say, and if you learn, read any of his books or, or talk to him or listen to him in a, in a conversation, what you'll come to realize is Kevin's bright. He knows his way around different operating systems, but he, doesn't, he never really sat down and wrote exploits, right? His forte was human engineering. Mm-hmm and having a photographic memory for phone numbers. <laughs> um, so if I can exploit a human, now we're talking about administrator escape. Yeah, yeah. Versus like a VM escape. Which one is more likely? Which one is cheaper? And the bad guys always go for what's more likely and what's cheaper. Right, we're gonna take the path of least resistance. Yeah. Why, why walk, why try to, you know, muscle my way through the back door when I can just walk through the front door unimpeded? Yeah. Right. So that's what, that's what hasn't changed is the, the, the first reaction to challenge. And maybe that's a cultural thing. Um, maybe it's just a human nature thing. We always, we, we kind of all want to be friendly. So sure, I'll give you what you 
what you like. Um, at, at VMware, every year, and I was out in, in Palo Alto a few weeks ago, every year we do a security conference, internal security conference, and we have you know well well known speakers come in and speak about different things. A couple of years ago, they had a red team come in, and the red team is hired to break into your systems to show you where your vulnerabilities are. Right, so a, a corporation would not involve IT or security or anyone like that. Someone at a at a board of directors level thing will hire a red team to go break into the system so that they can then discuss how do we better control. Mm-hmm. And the techniques that these red team guys would use for breaking into systems was all about taking advantage of people. One of the things that they did was they they cased out the system the, the place. They found out what fire extinguisher company serviced that building. All right. Then they went online and they bought uniforms that looked like that fire extinguisher company. They made up labels that looked like that fire extinguisher company. They made up IDs that looked like that fire extinguisher company. And they walked in and they said, hi, I'm Mike from the fire extinguisher company. I'm here to inspect all the fire extinguishers. And the nice receptionist went, oh, okay, and handed him over a badge that let him into everything. Because there's fire extinguishers in very sensitive environments. In the data center even, yeah. In the data center, yeah. right? Human engineering. Yeah, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? Uh, you know, as, uh, as a vendor, I guess, for example, you know, <laughs> VMware, Microsoft, whoever you are, you know, you can create the most secure software or, or systems or code no, in the world. No. But, it, you know, that's, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it, is the social engineering side of it. Right. And so, that's, access. Yeah. and so that's, that's why... Um, when I think about security, when I'm talking with our engineers and, and talking with our customers, one of the things I've noticed was um, if security is really difficult to implement or it's a real pain in the neck or it gets in the way of my existing processes, I'm going to do as part of my human thought process, I don't want to do that. So I will put up every single barrier I can to not do that or to work my way around it, right? That's why you will see, uh, not that this would ever happen with the three of us, where if we were handed a corporate laptop with a core i7 processor and it ran no faster than a 386 because it has umpteen security agents on it, some people have been known to wipe that clean. Hypothetically, yep. Hypothetically. (laughs) And wipe that clean and start fresh so that they get the performance back, back to human nature. Yeah. Right? So one of the things that I talk about when I talk about vSphere security and I I push all the time is it's on us to do the heavy lifting of security behind the scenes and present to the administrator uh, an easy to implement way to do security. So a perfect example is around VM encryption. Uh, if if I if we typically encrypting a VM or encrypting any type of OS involved repartitioning and installing software and you know managing this and managing that and it just starts getting so hairy and the IT guys like okay so but how do I do this at scale? Right. I don't want I bought VMware because I wanted to treat every VM as an object, 
not as a unique pet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, now with VM encryption, because we do it at the hypervisor level and we're doing it below the VM, I don't have to change anything in the VM. And so for, if say I have a PowerShell provisioning script, asking a question of should this, does this VM contain sensitive information? Yes or no. When I answer yes, I've added the enable VM encryption to the new VM line of provisioning, right? So when I create that new VM, I can encrypt it right from the start. So if I'm hearing you right here, Mike, a lot of the, um, you know, I know in the very early days, obviously of, you know, let's take it, whether it be Microsoft or, or, um, you know, back in the Windows NT 2000 days, or even, you know, with the the vSphere, you really had to go out your way to implement security. Yeah. Out of the the box, you know, it would run, it would be great. But um, unless as an administrator or an architect, you had to be aware of the latest security practices, what to enable, what not to, services to yep. disable, services to enable. Um, and, and the great thing is, as you've mentioned there and, and before we were on the podcast here, you were mentioning that how security is inherently, or the best practices, a lot of them are sort of baked in to the DNA of the products now that go out the door. Yeah. Um, so if you look at um, the what used to be called the vSphere hardening guide. When I came there, it was this really long Excel spreadsheet. Uh, I would have customers calling me practically in tears. This is a such a connect to implement. My security guy got a hold of it. Why did you put it out on the, out on the internet? Uh, my security guy got a hold of it and said, "Go implement it." Um, it's it's painful. It's I I I, I I'm not going to do it. Right. So. Over the past few releases, starting with 6.0, where I refactored the whole thing, uh, and then in 6.5 and then in 6.7, we've shrunk the number of settings that would be classified as hardening down to, uh, in 6.7, it's five. The rest of the settings are settings that you should audit, meaning uh, SSH is turned off by default on an ESX server. If it's turned on, you should know why it's turned on. Yeah. That's what I mean by auditing that. And then the, uh, the remaining settings are settings that I can't set for you, right? I don't know what your NTP server address is, right? I don't know uh, a, couple of, a couple of other settings that we can't set for you. Those are just common security configuration settings. But the main point being is I renamed in 6.5 the hardening guide to the security configuration guide because it really wasn't as much about tightening all of the screws. The screws, most of the screws are already tightened. Now it's just a couple of screws and an ever increasingly smaller number of screws necessary to tighten. And I've gotten feedback from customers saying, this is just so much easier, right? And that's the whole point. If it's easy to do, then the admin will go, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. But once you put up a, a high enough barrier, now it's, not, it's no longer a security uh, discussion. It's a political discussion. It's a yeah. process discussion, right? And security is always going to lose on that. 
And especially for, I mean, small and medium-sized companies. I mean, I remember going through the hardening guide and I don't remember, there were hundreds, it seemed like, <laughs> of things on there. And I, in the training course, I showed, like you said, you know, well, disable SSH and enable NTP and these other few hundred things, review them, you know, in your own yeah. time, because they're so complex, I don't even understand what they mean, you know, right. some security engineer to help you understand these things. And so it's great to hear that you guys have just made security easier because at small companies and you know, mid-sized companies, they don't, they don't have, have the resources time. to do it. Yeah, the resources to understand yeah. all that. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I would do is I would sit down with engineers for at, at right before every release, and we would go through every guideline. And what was really interesting was, uh, remember, I inherited this uh, back in the 5-1 days, and it was like either firewall rules or a Jenga tower. No, everyone was afraid to pull out anything. Yeah. Right? They didn't spend the time to figure out, is this setting even valid anymore? Right? Yeah. So when I sat down and we had this laundry list of, of things, it was, um, okay, we're going to go through each one. And there were times when one of the engineers, he'd have the, literally have the, um, the code open in, in another window and he'd be like, wait a minute, we removed that in the 3.x days. <laughs> Why is that still there? Yeah. Delete. It's, kind of like, it's a bit like the handful of old servers still running in your data center there from the late 1990s, early 2000s. And no one's quite sure what they do, but everyone's too, too afraid to turn them off just in exactly. case it's critical. It's uh, exactly. into that category. So I just walked in like the bull in the china shop and just said that everything is on the table. That's right? Smart, yeah. You have to do that. That's one of the things that doesn't happen enough in security is nobody is willing to review and make a decision on what should and should no longer be looked at. Yeah. Right? Uh, what I find really interesting is that I've actually gotten pushback from some people that you're changing stuff too fast, <laughs> right? If you look at monolithic compliance objectives like PCI, HIPAA, so on and so forth, they change at a glacial pace, yet the threats in today's world are changing at light speed. Right. Right. And if you look at uh, a, a recently announced breach of a large hotel, I'll bet you any money that they passed compliance. Mm -hmm. But they weren't secure. Yeah. Because their practices were bad or their whatever. Right. I, I don't want to dive into it too deep. But, um, the whole, the whole notion that it being compliant will make you secure, recent events should tell you that that's not true at all. Yeah. So Mike, Mike, a question for you. So the <coughs> complexities around, like you rightly say, I mean, the, 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 you know, the, the, the pace at which security exploits and hackers are, are you know, um, trying to get into systems uh, you know, is, is, is ever increasing, never slows down at all. Is your average, in your opinion, your average VMware sysadmin equipped 
to handle, you know, these, these, these ongoing exploits. I mean, I'd imagine a lot of reliance there. And I, you know, I speak personally here as well, you know, you put a lot of reliance in the vendors to implement the best practices and updates and things like that. But has it got to a tipping point now where do you think, you know, because of just the sheer breadth and complexity of some of these exploits, that there's almost a separate specialization coming out? If, if you know, assuming it's not already there, where you need, you know, your VMware or virtualization administrator. Yeah. But you also need a virtual, you know, assuming, I mean, large companies will always have yeah. a security uh, department and, you know, they would have it, you know, they would cover this aspect. But obviously there's a lot of small, medium and also, you know, some large companies out there may not have that specialization of a security administrator on site. So um, I was actually talking about this with uh, Chris McCain. He's on our, the NSX side of the house. He does a lot of VMUGs and such, does a lot of keynotes at VMUGs. We were talking about this. We both came to the same conclusion independently. Um, but what I'll first say is, is that the contact that most VM administrator, uh, VI administrators have with security is when the security person really should be compliance officer. Uh, has run a scan against their environment and they're presented with a list of things that need to be fixed. Security person really doesn't understand infrastructure. It's right? all from a network. So I would not be, I would not, and, and the, the, the thing that Chris and I came to the same conclusion independently on was, will we ever get the security person to understand and embrace the uniqueness of a virtualized infrastructure. No. So it's almost a they're on a different career path towards compliance. Right? So if you look at uh, if you step way, way back and look at the changes that are going on in the environment, um, you're seeing the the days of racking of of an of a, a, a VI admin racking and stacking and building his own data center out of a bunch of parts uh, present company excluded for you Simon um, uh, <laughs> based on based on the contents of your basement um, more and more customers are buying pre-configured rack environments like a VX rail VX rack type of thing right. It's literally a box shows up and everything is pre-wired, top of rack switch, you plug that in, you power it on and off you go, right? So that job is now released from you. And then you have cloud. And let's just say, you know, VMware, uh, VM, uh, uh, VMware cloud on AWS. How do you connect all of that up securely? So what I foresee and what I am trying to encourage VI admins to look at is to create your own role and we'll call it a virtualization security architect role. Okay. You understand how VMware works, you understand how cloud works, and it's really only you that could now take on the next level of education from a security standpoint and understand how to configure and manage and adapt that whole environment to run in a secure fashion. So the lift for bringing a security person up to that level is really high. 
the lift for a, a, a talented VI admin to gain that level of knowledge is much lower, right? So that is, to your point around careers, that will be a career opportunity for a lot of customers. As more and more of the physical hardware is commoditized or uh, abstracted away in the cloud, uh, your role is going to be how do I configure, put all of these pieces together and make them work in a fashion that meets PCI or HIPAA or just general security practices. So, Mike, a question for you there around that. I mean, for any, uh, you know, VI admins out there listening to this at the moment, do you have any sort of, you know, where would they get started, you know, down this path potentially? Obviously, still maintaining their VI uh, administrative, you know, uh, role and capabilities. But if they wanted to sort of, uh, um, you know, ex explore the areas of security within virtualization, do you have any recommendations around, you know, um, resources at all that they could? Is, is this have? where I plug my blog? <laughs> insert blog name here yes yeah uh, it, it's really um certainly re reading my blog uh yellow.com y-e-l-o-f it's fully spelled backwards.com uh that's where i cross post all of the stuff that goes on um uh, blogs at uh, vmware.com slash vsphere and i've been talking about an awful lot of this stuff for quite some time it I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of kickstart a lot of this uh, VI security architect type of role. I just haven't had the time uh, uh, up until literally yesterday when Bob Planker started in our group and we'll be taking on some more of the day-to-day -day, uh, VI security stuff at, at, uh, in the vSphere uh, tech marketing team. Uh, but yeah, this is this is something that both Chris McCain and I have been talking about. How does how do we um, create this? And what I would say right now is fo following the content and sitting down and implementing some of it. You know, I hear from customers all the time. Oh, we absolutely need encryption. We need it. We need it. We need it. We need it. Okay, we've implemented, we've created it within vSphere. What version are you running? Oh, we're still on 5.1. <laughs> right? Do you see NSX, does it have to be a part or is it becoming more and more of a part of that vSphere security role? Or can that, can you secure vSphere without NSX? I mean, how do those two fit together? NSX is a key component of part of a of an overall security story. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people think security is I just installed this one product and I'm secure. Right. Right. NSX. Uh, you you. There's an article on my blog uh, that I wrote. Jesus, it must be six or seven years ago when I went to China, um, seven years ago. And I talked about how security has morphed um, over time from uh, comparing traditional um, things like the Great Wall of China, the, um, uh, the Forbidden City, and then a trip to Israel, the walls within Israel. And I talk about how those 
equate to today's problems. None of these problems are new, but each one of them requires layers of security. Mm -hmm. You can't have just one layer. So NSX uh, is a great way to implement um, things like firewalling at scale. That's the other thing that people forget about is, sure, I can install, you know, a BitLocker on your laptop and get you all set and you're encrypted. But how do you do that for 10,000 VMs? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same problem, different scale. Right. I see NSX as a great opportunity for vSphere admins to kind of elevate themselves into this, v, into this you know, security uh, role. Architect. Or architect, yeah. Because yeah. maybe the traditional network admin isn't that interested in NSX, or they have their hands busy with the, the firewalls and switches and routers, and you know, the vSphere right. admin could step in and say, hey, I'd like to you know, secure the virtual. Right. And, if, and if, you, if you look at VI admins over the, over the years, if you, go, if you look at the popularity of sessions at VMworld, Number one and two over the past 10 years that, you know, Simon and I have been going to VMworld have been the Power CLI sessions, mm-hmm. right? So their, their ability to adopt automation is already there. Right. Now all you need to do is put your security glasses on and say, okay, so how do I adopt automation from a security standpoint? Because without automation, you won't get security at scale. Yeah. So... While, while NSX is part of the story, there are other components to the story, and we're adding more components over time. One of the things we just released was vSphere Platinum, and that is vSphere 6.7 and all of the, the goodness that comes around that with things like Secure Boot for ESX and TPM 2.0 and virtual TPM and encryption and everything else. But then we also married that or bundled that with VMware App Defense. And VMware App Defense can work directly with NSX. So what? So one of the things that VMware App Defense does is, if you look at the way antivirus um, is engineered, antivirus only stops things that the antivirus engine knows about. So you have to re- re- uh, receive a list of signatures for known vulnerabilities. Okay. But that doesn't help me with a day zero attack. Right. An attack that the antivirus people don't know about yet. Right. And those things tend to stay under the covers until it's time to execute. Because once they're executed, then they're known and then the signatures come out. But at that point, people have been compromised. If you look at the way app defense works, it it kind of profiles your running environment and says, okay, the following executables are known good and they speak over this port to this executable on that VM, right? And with one click, I can create all the NSX rules for say my web app and, um, and database tier and it will create all the rules so that only those ports and executables will be speaking to each other. And then what it's going to do is it's going to monitor so that if someone, let's just say they're running uh, Windows 2016 
And the, the rule is we're not going to install any third-party browsers on this particular class of system. An admin logs in. He goes, oh, I hate IE. I'm just going to install Firefox for a little while. Right? And, oh, I'm going to log into my Firefox account. And, oh, I'm going to go browse somewhere where I probably shouldn't. <laughs> App Defense would stop Firefox from even running or being nice. installed. Right. So what you're doing, what you're doing at that stage is you're enforcing a known good state and you're not allowing a drift away from a known good state because app defense has profiled this. It pulls down information from, uh, from carbon black that says here are particular executables that we know are good. Right. It can also, if you're into things like Puppet or Chef or other uh, types of uh, Ansible and those sorts of things, and you, you're building your own VMs, well, you know already what should and should not be on those VMs. App Defense can pull that manifest or recipe from those tools directly in and create the profile based on that. So when you start thinking of things at scale, you need tools like NSX, you need tools like App Defense in order to do things when you're talking about thousands of VMs, right? So something like App Defense there, Mike, I mean, NSX, obviously, you know, you can use at any scale, whether you're an SMB right up to full scale. Sure. You know, Fortune 100. Uh, App Defense, is it the same type of thing? Uh, you know, these are standalone products. Um, you know, let's say I'm a, a, a mid-sized shop. Is App Defense still applicable? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all, of, the, all of these products are applicable um, at, at, at every level. Of course, it's all based on licensing costs, but I'm in marketing, so I don't deal with licensing costs. <laughs> <laughs> I leave that to the sales guy. Step around that question. I spend money. They make money, so um, it, it all of these tools are on the table, um, and I think what you're seeing is because the hypervisor uh, and the infrastructure are in a unique position from a security standpoint, is we're now starting to take advantage of these capabilities from a security standpoint. If you had talked about this five or six years ago, it would be like, yeah, but you know, who's going to buy it? At yeah. the end of the day, you only make stuff that people are going to buy. So if you can articulate the value and say, look, you already have the infrastructure there that provides that capability, adding on an app defense or an NSX or a VM encryption or vSAN encryption, is an incremental change to your environment. That makes it a lot easier for people to consume. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, with all the, um, I mean, more so, gosh, we've had at least a decade of the, you know, high, high profile uh, exploits or, or, you know, yeah. stories in the media. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it should be in the forefront of everyone's mind that this is this is more important. Like you say, five years ago, probably less so, but if we, you know, cast our minds back over the last five years, this doesn't matter what size company you are, everyone's affected by security. It's, it's, it's a journey, you know, it's, it's... It, it, it really is. And to just kind of 
kind of wrap this whole thing, wrap this whole thing up is what you will see, especially when you start talking about, you know, the L1TFs and the specter meltdowns and, and so forth is you're seeing a lot more attention being focused on exploits and the tools to generate exploits are getting better. All these fuzzing tools and so forth are getting better and better. So you're right. It's not, security is not an end goal. It's always going to be a journey. It's always going to be, um, you, it, it's, it's always going to be something that you have to be up on. So the, the role that we talked about around a VI security architect they should be the ones that should be following the trends and then coming up with the mitigations that can address the trends because you're not necessarily going to catch everything, but you can certainly mitigate and uh, a lot of your threat. So if you remember the heart bleed thing, the whole open SSL thing, people were panicking left and right around their V centers and their ESX servers. Well, if their vCenter and ESX server were isolated on a separate management network that had limited access in and out of, then the pain and suffering to get those things updated would have been further mitigated out because the threat that that Heartbleed brought wasn't happening in that controlled environment. So it's that sort of mentality um, that uh, uh, the, this security architect role over time is really going to have to be up on because you need to understand all the risks and then a lot of the mitigations. And I'll finally leave you with, if you haven't read the Phoenix Project yet, um, read the Phoenix Project, embrace the Phoenix Project because that is going to inform you on how you should approach a lot of this in a calm, thoughtful manner. Um, very rarely are we in a, oh my God, the sky is falling. And if you're, if you, as a VI ad security architect, you can mitigate the sky falling in a number of different ways. Yeah, the Phoenix Project, I listened to it actually on Audible on the way to VMworld this year. And it was like a, a suspense novel for IT professionals, you know, <laughs> so realistic. Uh, but you make a great point that so many security um, failures can be prevented just by, you know, segmenting the network, principle of least privilege, using complex yes. passwords, rotating passwords, you know, all those things that people just seem to kind of forget. Uh, when they're looking at the new shiny object, like, ooh, what new tool can we install to totally secure right. the network? Right. Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the things I, I, <laughs> I talked about someone was um, that really cool new uh, uh, security tool that says it needs full administrator access <laughs> to vCenter and to all the hosts has now just come into scope as what happens if that tool gets compromised. Yeah. Yep. And when I said that to the, the security person who was running that tool, they're like, but it's a security tool. I'm like, <laughs> trust me, they're probably the worst implementers of security. <laughs> they were, they're only testing for security. They're not testing themselves for security. Right. Absolutely. 
Well, I, this has been really great, Mike. Before we go, I want to make sure that we give the audience some resources on how to find you. Um, on Twitter, you're at Mike Foley. Yep. Uh, there are the security hardening guides. If you just Google VMware security. vSphere security hardening guide. Uh, there's um, an encryption white paper, encryption performance white paper. Uh, probably uh, one of the best resources to go to for curated uh, content is um, um, vSphereCentral.vmware.com. Okay. That has a whole bunch of curated content, uh, including uh, an encryption FAQ, a TPM and virtual TPM FAQ, all sorts of content. Uh, if you go to yelof.com, my name's spelled backwards, um, one of the more recent, um, one of the more recent blog posts will be the vSphere Security 6.7 um, media uh, content. In there, I have a link to my Reddit Ask Me Anything. I have a link to a whole bunch of lightboard videos where I'm standing behind glass and writing and, and describing. So if you want to learn about VM encryption or TPM and you only have two or three minutes, just watch one of those videos. Uh, yeah, there's a plethora of content. Oh, I see this blog post you're talking about now. This is a great resource. Yeah, we'll definitely include this in the show notes uh, along awesome. with your blog and the VCR security hardening guides. Uh, Mike, it's been great having you on the show. Hey, yeah. thanks very much. I appreciate Perfect. it, guys.